split in his scalp at the base of the hairline, and when he tried to raise himself to his feet, Hack kicked him squarely in the face twice with his boot heel. Then he put him in the back of a vegetable wagon, locked his wrists in manacles, tied trace chains around his body, and nailed the end links to the floorboards. And that's how John Wesley Harden went to jail in DeWitt County, Texas. He never came back to fight Hack again. And no other law officer ever got the better of him, except John Selman, who drove a pistol ball through his eye in an El Paso saloon in 1895. As I stood there on my front porch that hot, breathless July day, leaning against the column with the six bullet holes now worn and smooth, I could see Hack's whitewashed marker under the pin oaks in the Holland family cemetery. The trees were still in the heat. The leaves filmed with dust, and the shade was dappled on the headstones. Four generations of my family were buried there. Son Holland, a Tennessee mountain man from the Cumberlands who came to Texas in 1835 and fought at the Battle of San Jacinto for Texas's independence, was a friend of Sam Houston, later received 1,200 acres from the Texas Republic and died of old age while impressing horses for the Confederacy. Hack's two older brothers, who rode with the Texas Cavalry under General Hood at the Battle of Atlanta. Great Uncle Tip, who made the first drive up the Chisholm Trail and married an Indian squaw. Sidney a Baptist preacher, an alcoholic who always carried two revolvers and a derringer and killed six men. Winfro, murdered in a brothel during the Sutton Taylor feud, his body dragged on a rope back and forth in front of the house by drunken cowboys. And Jefferson, who had two years business college in Austin and decided to compete with the King and XIT ranches in the cattle market and lost 600 acres of Holland land as a result. And Sam, my father, Hackberry's son, a genteel man with a rheumatic heart, a one-time Southern historian at the University of Texas and later a United States congressman during the New Deal and finally a suicide. Out beyond the cemetery, the green hill sloped down toward the river, which was now low and brown, and the crests were covered with blackjack, live oak, and mesquite. The cotton in the fields was in bloom, the rows evenly spaced and stretched out straight as a rifle shot, and the tomatoes had come out big and red in the early summer showers. The sun flashed brilliantly on the windmill blades now idle in the still air. And in the distance, the clapboard and shingle homes of the Mexican farm workers looked like flattened matchboxes in the heat. My three natural gas wells pumped monotonously up and down, the pipes on the well heads dripping moisture from the intense cold inside, and occasionally I could smell the slightly nauseating odor of crude gas. The wells were located in the middle of the cotton acreage, the derricks long since torn down, and the cotton rows were cut back from the well heads in surgically perfect squares, which always suggested to me a pastoral reverence toward the 
Texas oil industry. The front lane was spread with white gravel, the adjoining fields planted with Bermuda grass and white wood fences ran both the length of the lane and the main road where my property ended. The lawn was mowed and clipped, watered each day by a Negro man whom my wife hired to take care of the rose gardens, and there were magnolia and orange trees on each side of the porch. The main portion of the house had been built by Hackberry in 1876, although the logs of Sun Holland's original cabin were in our kitchen walls, and it had changed little since. My wife had added a latticework veranda on the second story, with large ferns and earthen pots and a screened-in side porch where we used to eat iced tea dinners on summer evenings. After we began to take our meals separately, the porch was used as a...